0: Hello, and welcome to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners Design for Culture. Today, I am joined by Aline Tokmakov to talk about eight ways to be fidgetal. Aline, welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I know you because we are both partners at the same firm, CNG Partners. Uh, but for those who don't know you, could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do and a little bit about your background? Yes, of course. Hi, everyone. So I'm a partner at
1: CNG Partners. I work in more in the exhibit and experience design field. I started originally in Switzerland, uh, where I uh, graduated from architecture. And I think it's it's important to mention that because at the end of the day, all my work is related to the physical environment.
0: and um, And here I am. My favorite side question is, that I ask all my guests is how did you get into this business like what what brought you here you did you did you uh, take a course did you uh, meet a person did you accidentally start working on a project like this what got you into this industry
1: yeah i love the question because y- you 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 fell almost people f- fell in exhibit design right it's i was probably not anticipating to become an exhibit slash experience designer at the beginning but as when i finished my architectural degree as every architect thinking that i can do everything i have a i have a fascination and a love for images and graphics and i thought i can open a graphic design studio uh, and every architect thinks like yeah i can do everything right, <laughs> right. but but ultimately, I had some good friends who were working on a project. They started asking me, hey, can you do the brochure? Can you do the poster? Can you do the advertising? And by the way, can you start working with us to do exhibit design? And I think that's the best uh, thing that happened to me since. That was more than 25 years ago. And um, yeah, that that adventure started then.
0: So it was, uh, it was a coincidence, really. You didn't go out looking to do work in exhibitions and experience. Did you did you know that that existed when you came out of architecture school? In, uh, Swiss- Where was it in Switzerland that you went to architecture school?
1: That was in Lausanne, École Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne. Did,
0: did they teach you about this subject there or did they tell you anything about it? So you you came out of an architecture education and you didn't even know that you could do this. You didn't even know that people did this.
1: I Actually, uh, you know, like everyone else... We're going to museums, looking all this f- at this fabulous exhibition and experiences without thinking too much. Who is doing them? Be- you know, and um, at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, it's just like my my project diploma was actually um, how to take over an industrial space with among us large advertising photography, and it was by a photographer, Milanese photographer, Gabriele Basilico. My whole thinking behind that was how can we change the space that is surrounding us with images? And the examples didn't, you know, they were everywhere in the advertising, uh, urban advertising environment in Europe. So I think little by little, I I was following that um you know, that intuition that this is, this is the field I wanted to work in. Um, Didn't obviously know how to do it, but he came, came all together at some point.
0: So even you're saying, even when you were in school, you were inclined to think about both uh, image or communication or message or content and physical space at the same time. That was your thesis. That was your final project or your your capstone or something.
1: Yes, that was, that was my, my capstone project. And uh, at that time, I was really just thinking about photography, still images. How you know the the story about uh one one image tells is worth a thousand words. How can we transform what we're physically experiencing and what we're seeing? How can we combine the two? And how can we blur that uh, those boundaries? So naturally, you know, with time, from um, Thinking about that, little by little, I start thinking about all the digital media. And that came kind of naturally into that idea of the fidgetal.
0: The I'm uh, learning a lot of things about you that I didn't know. Okay, so uh, for today, you have a great list, a long list, which I'm really excited about. And the title for today is Eight Ways to be Fidgetal. So tell me what inspired you to come up with that topic and then we'll will jump right into number 1.
1: Uh the, it it is that that topic about um merging the physicality of a space with um <laughs> almost more metaphysically um with our virtual world right so um I you know I'm fascinated by how images, medias, in general, are actually influencing us. And uh, seeing that actually they live in that digital sphere, it was um, the intention, the dream to actually bring that into the physical experience and physical environments that I'm we are building as as professionals, but not just as an added layer, but really an integrated layer that is completely part of the overall experience.
0: I think we're going to need to define what we mean by that. And I think that is actually point number one. So that's great. Let's get into it. Uh, As always, I know the list only, and my guest knows the rest. So I'm as curious about what each one of these things means as our dear listener. So here we go. Eight ways to be fidgetal. Number one, define the word. Define the word fidgetal. So how would you define that? So obviously, um, it is the combination
1: of uh, two words, physical and digital, put together, combined into one. And um, a lot of people are allergic to just when I say, "Oh, let's create a digital experience," right. especially the the purest ones. It's like, "What do you mean? How? Cu- why? You cannot say that." So at the same time, it's meant to be funny because, and it's it's meant to actually be a catchword. Uh, in terms of, well, what, explain us more about what that means. And I would say that a digital experience, um, in my approach, is seamlessly integrate, you know, the, phys- the physical and the digital to create one enhanced experience into the built environment. That's the definition that I would give.
0: And uh, I guess for those, this is an audio medium, so I'll just, for, for those who are not familiar with the word, Maybe more popular than I realized, but uh, that's spelled P H Y G I T A L, physical. The first half of physical, and the last half of digital. I guess we'd call that a portmanteau or a neologism, a new new word. Uh, and I guess it's better than doing it the other way. If you tried to do the first half of the other one and the last half of the other, it would be digital, digital, or 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 or, or digital, or Digi-
1: yes, digical, something, yes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Well, clearly of, of the available options, we seem to have the best one. So, um, that's number one to find the word number two on your list.
1: Before we go to number two, I would just want to say something also, and that's related maybe to what motivated me also to that, um, digital, um, experience and environment. I just want to say that we live in a world, right. Where the digital is everywhere. And um, it is second nature. it's it's surrounding us. And um, whenever we design an experience, like we do as experience and and uh, exhibit designers, um, usually people think about us as we are only designing a physical environment. But actually as as a designer, you think about you're a choreographer. Right. You take everything into account. You take lighting into account, you take the graphics, you take the physical environment, the architecture of the space. And what I really wanted to highlight here is like, usually we think about the media. There is a media designer that designed the space, but actually as as a choreographer, we have to think holistically about everything. And I thought it was really important uh, considering that the digital is, part of our daily lives more than we would want to sometimes, it's really omnipresent. Um, I would advocate that we can't dissociate when we design a space, the digital from the physical anymore. We have to holistically think about it. And and, and that's definitely what is motivating also that fidgetal approach.
0: Huh. So are you saying that this new word, this fidgetal, you know, is just what it is now? that they're they're you could say only design the physical world, but that people come in with the digital world in their pockets or their purse or their backpack. And so there is no such thing as just the fidget of just the physical world anymore. It is all by nature fidgetal. So here's our new word and this is just this is just the way it is. And so this, this is this, the new call to action.
1: This it, it is exactly what it is. It is a call to action. It is a mindset. In terms of how we think about um, the experiences and the spaces that we're designing,
0: that's great. Okay, so thank you for that clarification. Number two, balance the parts. Balance the parts, and uh, I assume you mean balance the parts of the word, or balance the physical and the digital. What do you mean by balance the parts? Why do we need to do that?
1: Well, in in into the word, digital is the idea that they are the physical and the digital are both balance it's half and half and it's really important because both part as as important as as the other right so um i said already that you know there's a tendency to drift towards the digital more than we would want to you know like scrolling endlessly through instagram or binge watching a series on netflix etc etc spending all that time on 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 virtual media digital media but at the same time, we have a physical body, right, with with five senses, and that demands some sense of reality. So um, I see this balance as being, you know, some kind of yin and yang, you know, the bo- the, the balance of the body and the mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my, so my personal interpretation interpretation of the digital is um, that it needs to be a thoughtful integration of the digital into the physical world and vice versa,
0: right? Both components are, are needed. And uh, how do I ask this question? The, you just said that the word is balanced half, half by nature. And I guess, yeah, it kind of is. Um, Do you think that the world is balanced half, half by nature or that our, our work in, in creating exhibitions or experiences is 50-50. Is that the, how do I, how do I even describe the question I'm asking? Are, are, are you advocating that we need to have balance and that we need to basically make it 50-50 somehow? That's my first question. Uh, are, or are you advocating that you need to achieve some balance, whether 50-50 or something else, but it can never be 100-0 or 0-100. It'll always be somewhere in between. So that's two different questions. Do you, do you, do you think that there's a built-in balance? Do you think that you're, are you advocating going for a certain balance? Actually, I'm, I'm probably so.
1: Everything you're saying kind of is is correct, uh, but I'm probably more advocating about trying to bring back a balance because a lot of um, um, some trends, you know, are advocating about going full speed into that digital experience. Um, And I believe that actually a digital experience will never be as powerful, at least, you know, with the technology that we have in place at the moment. Maybe in a hundred years, it will be, or even a 20 years at the speed it goes, it will be a different question. But I'm advocating that bringing that digital experience in the physical world, because it is just our nature, Right, where experience everything through our body, which is a physical thing, um, is the way to go. So it's balancing, maybe, or rebalancing the act of uh, creating an experience and maybe go a little step further. Because as much as I can say that a digital element brings something into the physical world, I can say the same the other way around, right? Mm-hmm how can we create an experience where the physical brings something to the digital? Now it becomes that physical experience.
0: And I think, uh, I think in what you're saying, there's sort of an underlying uh, vision. I'm imagining that uh, some of the things you just referred to uh, like digital experiences will never be as powerful as physical ones for some time there. It'll take a while for that to be true. So are you, when you say that, are you imagining the idea of sort of, Jacking our minds straight into cyberspace, uh, you know, the Matrix or, or or that kind of thing. That that when that can happen, that will be as powerful as physical space because we can't tell the difference. Um, is that is that what you're getting at? That like Jonathan, until that yes. happens, we have to be fidgetal because our senses will always betray us. There's something of that, Jonathan.
1: You know that my probably my favorite movie is the Matrix. So I can't I can't hide that. Um, I'm guilty, I have to say, but, um, maybe there is a part of that. I think at, at the moment, what I'm saying is that the digital is still something that emulates something. And we know that, you know, the resolution is probably not, uh, as, you know, high resolution as our eyes, our, we cannot simulate the sense of touch, uh, unless at some point, obviously we we put that plug into our brain and we managed to create those, those signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when we'll be there, there will be another assessment to make, but right. I, I I believe that this is still science fiction and mm-hmm. um, far, far from it. So in, I, I would say that by the way, the, the way I'm thinking about the digital is, uh, is as an architect would do. Right. Um, I'm again, I'm, I studied architecture, um, but it is a mindset. So I, I don't want to tie the digital to um, to technology, for example. I want to think about it as would a digital architect or a digital designer think about it, where the digital is just a tool, right? It is one of our building blocks to create an experience.
0: When you say digital is a mindset, what do you mean?
1: Well, what, what I mean by that is, You know, we could, it would be easy to argue, right, that everything that we're saying here, it's obvious, right? I'm not reinventing any wheels. It's the same like when talking back then about, you know, even now, about scenography and let's say building a theater set, right? We're automatically integrating all different um mediums in that we integrate lighting right into the theater set we inter- integrate physical props we are talking about integrating graphics into the built environment all those are different tools uh, all those are uh, part of our toolkit so what i'm trying to say here is that um this digital is focusing more on, on that aspect of looking closer to how to integrate, to better integrate the digital into the built environment, right? And and to do that, you need to little, to know a little bit about the digital and the physical.
0: So it sounds like, uh, are, are you advocating? Because I'm really attracted to that phrase, digitalism mindset. Um, for those who are listening, who might be, let's say, architectural designers like you were when you started out, what would be what's the first step for them to get this mindset? Like if you don't have the mindset, how would you advocate doing that? I think maybe the, you just gave the answer. The first thing is to learn about digital. Uh, so am I correct about that? And if, if I am, uh, how do you then proceed? Do you just sort of say everything is digital? there's digital everywhere. Make sure that you're incorporating that in your design as well. In the old days, you would have uh, incorporated in sonography, you've incorporated the lighting and the costume and the props and everything. Now you also have another thing called digital. Always incorporate that. And now you have the mindset. Is that kind of what you're getting at? or It, it, it is kind of what I'm
1: getting at, yes. Um, definitely understanding how technology works and how the digital works help to better understand you know, its, its potentials. And the mindset of saying again being a digital architect is looking at the tools we have and how can i create a physical experience that um uh, integrates all those different parts and again i think it's that's that's why i think it's so important to talk about building blocks i'm literally talking about how can the digital be a building block that is part of the architectural structure and space of the environment, how, um, you know, you can think about what happens if we build the whole building out of LED panels. And obviously, that just a little bit um, simplifying the whole thing, but it's just just as a diagram.
0: That's uh, there are projects that do exactly that right now. Uh, they've been for some time, cubes and rectangles and a sphere, in Las Vegas. It's just all, uh, LED. So, um, yeah, this stuff is great. I'm thinking about my own, my head is just kind of spinning as we're thinking about this. I'm wondering, it seems like you're almost advocating because you've described yourself as a fidgetal architect, which is funny. I can imagine at a cocktail party, you'd say, Oh, what do you do? I'm a fidgetal architect. Oh, you must mean physical. It's like, no fidgetal. And then they just walk away from you and go find somebody else to talk to. But, um, uh, are you kind of saying that everybody now has to be digital? That rather than, uh, okay, we're going to do all of this uh, sort of work here. Uh, I'm going to make a lab building. I'm going to make a courthouse. I'm going to make a museum building or a residence that architects and other designers all have to take on, understand this additional building block now because every project is is at least partly digital. It's never 100% physical and 0% digital. There's, It's always 50-50, 75-25, 90-10. So are you advocating that, that everyone needs to learn these building blocks and we're all digital now? It's everyone willing to
1: actually adopt that mindset, I would say. Um, and I will be the first one to not advocate to integrate technology or digital elements everywhere. I'm the first one that really appreciate going in nature forgetting my, leaving my phone, you know, home, et cetera, et cetera. However, in the reality of a project, um, I'm I'm sure that most of us are so aware of meeting with a client and saying, oh, let's create this beautiful park. And it has those beautiful sculptures. And someone in the assembly will say, oh, what about we do an AR and you take your phone and it has that additional interpretation. Right. So it 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 requires at some point to to go a step beyond that um, and be more, I think, creative. I think we we've all seen that AR being used, etc., and not thinking about. Again, I'm definitely not advocating for AR because I believe that actually that technology and digital needs to feel like it is part of that physical environment that is surrounding us.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, this is great. I'm kind of taking away from this just in my own way from what you're saying that, uh, which I've never thought about it in so many words, that the uh, time is now, we're, we're well into the time period where everybody who is working on these projects at every level needs to be thinking digitally. everybody. Yes. Uh, and it's not because you've kind of self-identified as a fidgetal architect, uh, someone in a category who previously would not have been digital at all because architects are, as you described in your upbringing, uh, physical uh, by nature, that you're fidgetal. That sort of suggested everyone needs to do that because that's the nature of the world until we get to the matrix, I guess. <laughs> um, so speaking of which, number three, that was all number two, number three is blur the interface. What does it mean to blur the interface? Usually we want to you know, do the opposite. We want to make it higher resolution. What do you mean blur the interface?
1: Well, I think it's going back to um, integrating seamlessly the digital into the physical environment. Um, how can we eliminate the interface? Because an interface is used right at home, in school, in our pockets. We have menus and buttons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, how it becomes actually an educational tool to some to some degree but in exhibition how can we make it all go away for the purpose of making that interface um, disappear and more intuitive Mm -hmm. and by making it more intuitive it becomes more integrated to to the experience Um, to give you an example it's it's i'm saying the obvious if you walk into a space into an exhibit space into an experience space into your living room, you don't need um, you don't need captions, you don't need menus to actually live in that and experience that space. So how can we create as experience slash exhibit digital designers an experience that becomes more emotional rather than just informative or educational. But at the same time saying this, And at the same time i want to say i have nothing again against obviously an exhibit needs to inform an exhibit at some point might educate the visitor um i don't know if it can educate in one or two hours but it brings information what i'm trying to say is in order to get there you first need to be touched as a human being you first need to experience this in an emotional way and that brings uh, opens would imp- opens the visitor's interest then to be ready to access that information so yeah i'm 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 really advocating for a space to uh, you know to react to a visitor i'm i'm uh, advocating for a space where we wave our hands uh like we wave uh, a wand as a harry potter thing where everything becomes part of the our body and is, is the interface. Our body is um, activating the space around it, and but in a very intuitive and emotional way.
0: I'm just uh, grabbing some quotes here. Our body is the interface. I joke in these episodes, like whenever I hear something like that, I say, we're going to print t-shirts uh, with that slogan after the show. That's a great one. Our body is the interface. So um, you also said something interesting that in your own Living room, you don't need drop-down menus in order to operate your 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 own living room, which I think is a really interesting way to think about it. Is there also a you know in our practice we've I talk about this I don't know uh, I don't know if you and I have talked about it that much before in the past, but there's also the idea of um, obsolescence or the um, conventions of digital interfaces like the. The interface for a search engine or the interface for uh, an AI chatbot or for Wikipedia or for your uh, the dashboard in your car, that they have certain standards, uh, menus, tabs, knobs, dials, whatever it might be. Um, and in physical space, uh, if you use those standards, for one thing that you're pointing out, you don't need to because you have a physical space and a body and you can use that as the interface instead. But is there also a aspect about time here? In other words, these uh, interface conventions from the internet or from software applications change so quickly that if we use them in an exhibition that's meant to be there for a few years, not a few months uh, or even longer, our exhibition will look old too soon. So uh, you can avoid that by blurring the interface, by making the interface seem like it goes away, you, you, your exhibition seems fresher for longer. Is that that's another good, reason, or is that just a byproduct?
1: That's a, that's a very good a, a very good point. Um, and uh, what happens is, especially, you know, as as we know now, in in a few years, we have no idea of what the interface of the future will be. Right, considering all those any new technology that appears in any new way of interacting with that technology however we know that we will always be either speaking or showing or pointing or looking at something for most of visitors um, and using those type of in- natural interaction intuitive interaction will definitely help
0: with that aging uh, part of the technology because our body is the interface Yes. Sorry, I've got to print that T-shirt. Okay, so uh, number four, that was number three, which was blur the interface. Number four is make it magic. Tell me, what do you mean by magic? You just mentioned Harry Potter a minute ago. What's what's going on here?
1: Well, apart the fact that, like everybody else, yes, Harry Potter is part of um, our lives uh, or, or childhood, um, there's probably the most powerful element of the digital experience is that sense of magic um, so if there is a way that we can make the technology um, surprise the visitor right um, if we can make it so some people call it charming and delightful that's a very ux term by the way mm-hmm. but in one of your recent uh podcasts or or uh, make the museum uh, uh, daily emails jonathan i think you you use the the word all mm-hmm. you know that all that holds attention and increases recall i think i'm actually saying exactly the words that actually you used i
0: think it's pretty close yeah
1: yes um if if we create a digital experience when the technology is invisible it becomes more surprising. And by becoming more surprising, it becomes more impactful. By being more impactful, it becomes more mem- memorable. And I think it's to some degree, I, I I would not know a more powerful experience than if we succeed at creating a, a digital experience. So the power of the digital itself, right, um, in a physical space, when it transforms the physical space, is completely magical right um so to some degree right um you can say that an environmental graphic trompe l'oeil in the historic use of uh of trompe l'oeil false perspective etc was probably doing that as well however what it didn't have it's the the fact the fact that actually it uh You know a digital element is ephemeral it changes and it changes just by magic Mm -hmm. and it changes and it transforms our physical space
0: yeah so exactly what i've been writing about lately is just this this idea you know awe it's one of those base emotions or close to one of those base emotions it is it's related to the more base emotion of fear in other words you're walking through the desert suddenly there's a gigantic statue in front of you of a god and you think, how did they make that? It must have been a god that made it. Uh, I should, I should bow down, or what have you. And that's this feeling of awe. It's usually accompanied by uh, looking up. Uh, the The jaw, the 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 mouth opens. The jaw goes down, and you you have this sort of sense of a delight, and also a little bit of fear at the same time. Like, but I, th- I think that's kind of where magic comes from. Even a small magic act, where you say how did how did they just do that? Or is it really actually magic? And suddenly you feel that you're in the presence of something much bigger than you, either something physically bigger than you, like the, the Eiffel Tower or the Grand Canyon, or a, a whole realm that you, you didn't realize there's another magical truth. And that's how awe operates. And I think a lot of the work that we do is actually some of the best work, some of the most Precedent-setting, some of the most memorable, some of the most award-winning work, is actually, consciously or not, we're tapping into awe as the main emotion that's driving that success. That's what I've been kind of investigating and writing about. And I'll be writing about a little bit more. I'm glad you picked up on that. So making it magic. I like the tie-in that that technology is it's magical uh, starts to starts to connect you with awe. It also just reminds me of I think it was the old. Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer, his quote, which I will not get exactly right, but uh, the idea that uh, any science that is advanced enough becomes indistinguishable from magic, beautiful, uh, or any any technology that's advanced enough. So I think it's a great way to go. Okay, let's do a little midpoint station identification. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger. And this is a project of CNG Partners designed for culture. Today, I am talking with Aline Tokmakov about eight ways to be fidgetal. And I think our next point is going to be number five, which is consider it a portal. This is starting to be very magical—a portal to what? What do you mean by that?
1: All right, um, this idea that it goes back to that concept of body and mind, right? It goes back to the fact that there is a second reality all around us, so to speak. and i'm 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 not I'm not talking about uh, science fiction here, right? Um, but if there is a, a way that uh, we can open a portal into that other reality that is all around us through the digital elements of a digital experience, that's what I'm talking about. So, Again, I said, it's not it's not science fiction, right? What are those layers I'm talking about? I'm talking about when you go to a museum, there's all those invisible layers of data about an object, information, thoughts of the curator, or dreams that we're projecting on something that we're looking at, right? So to some degree, right, the digital can make those visible. Right. It's in, it's, it is like a portal into those, those other realities. So to continue, uh, the analogy here is if you go to a museum, um, we usually use, um, classical slash traditional museum, right? Uh, we'll look at, for example, it displays some artifacts. We'll look at that artifact and it's usually, you know, uh, interpreted with some labels. To reveal all those invisible layers as um, as text that is explaining us what it is about, uh, anything that is associated with that pr- object, its provenance, who the owner was, you know how it might actually be linked to other objects in that space. Now, to engage the visitor, if we're thinking about what is a digital way of doing this, imagine the walls, you know, and the space around that object that start to activate when a visitor approaches, uh, that, that object and those walls become the canvas for emotional interpretation. So, um, the, for example, the links to the other objects become visible, you know, and can be explored. Um, the owner appears to explain the history of the object and, and it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Figital AR without the glasses, because at the end of the day, it happens in the space, and it is a communal experience. Physical AR. Fidgetal AR.
0: Physical AR. Physical AR without the glasses, right? Yes. Or Fidgetal physical is, physical, uh, physical is like physical AR without the glasses. But I, I just want to go back to the, the start of your answer to this question about consider it a portal. I, I just i am fascinated by this. Sort of vision that you have this idea that there's this I have never actually thought about it that way until you just brought it up that every object and everything in the world, because of sort of human consciousness, has data or stories or uh, uh, numbers or statistics or whatever associated with it by humans. So as we're podcasting, I have a coffee cup in front of me. And if there were no humans here to look at the coffee cup, it would simply be a coffee cup. But because I'm a human and I look at it, I can say, oh, where did I buy the coffee cup? How much did the coffee cup cost? How much does it weigh? How much coffee is in it? Oh dear, there's no more coffee in it. Uh, what color is it? No. What do you call that color? I think it's kind of orange. Um, so when, when you think about it that way, you think that because of human consciousness, every object has this sort of data cloud associated with it. And what you just said, which I'd never thought about before, is it previously in exhibitions or retail display or anytime we, we, we have objects or things or audio tracks or videos we want to show, any kind of experience we want to give people, the data that's associated with that gets associated with it previously physically. So if you have a Roman vase, you would have some text about the vase. When was it acquired? What does it weigh? Where did it come from? What is it made out of? What is its value, if it's an auction house? But what you're saying is that there's a sort of infinite cloud of data around anything now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the fidgetal the approach allows us to display any of that data we want to, anytime, any place. But the thing that just made me hit my head, like slap my forehead, is this vision that you just described, that all of that data. It must be because you love the matrix that all of that data about all of the things that we might have people experience comprises an entire other reality that's there at the same time in physical space that we can't see. So in other words, when I'm looking at my coffee cup here on the desk as we're recording this episode, I can now imagine this sort of digital cloud around the coffee cup that is invisible to me unless I put a display or some other digital element and once I do that, I can almost look into another universe that you've just described to me that I actually didn't know existed. I think I'm going to have to go have something stronger than coffee after this episode, because this is kind of a, you were talking before about digital being a mindset that just, you just changed my mindset. I feel like it was a chiropractic adjustment that just changed the way I look at reality. Either that or I had too much coffee or there was something in my coffee. Am I getting it right? Is thats is that is that what, totally is right. that, is yes. that how you look at the world? <laughs> I obviously don't look every day at the world like that but
1: it takes some effort to uh, to think about it and to put ourselves in that mindset but um there is there is that it's I, and I think it doesn't it's not like now we can access anything anytime all the time there will still need to be a vision for the message we want to convey or a curator behind that kind of guides us to um what we we will be looking at but indeed that digital portal allow us to bring um, into the reality all that all those other realities you can look at a person I, i i i was thinking about at some point a project where visitors should come into the space and instead of looking at themselves they're looking at what they look like as a silhouette and their instagram profiles and all the pictures that, that they actually took and we could define ourselves by our social media for example it's and it's it would be another way of looking
0: oh you're saying like eye. instead of looking at yourself in a mirror and optically simply seeing the reflection through light of of what you look like to the eye have the mirror reflect what you look like in the digital plane exactly because yes. that but it goes back to your point that the digital plane is right there it's a cloud of data that surrounds everything, including a person. And yes. using a digital portal, you should be able to look at a digital mirror, or di- I don't know what to call that. You're going to have to invent this product and go get some seed funding. But the idea that you would look into it, you'd wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth, you'd look into the mirror and say, how am I How am I looking in the digital uh, universe right now? Like, forget the physical one. I'm just going to look and it's got floating little squares of Instagram and you know whatever your yeah whatever your yeah. bank balance value is and whatever people are saying about you on twitter if that still exists i what's think the it's filter
1: a, i would be using today what's the lens
0: I'm, I'm, right, I'm looking right right let's get the uh, vintage filter I, I stayed up too late last night but i just love this idea that i kind of implicit in what you're saying and the thing that really made that chiropractic adjustment to my brain just now is is the the fact that your vision of it doesn't have a value judgment it's, it's a very yin-yang kind of an idea, like you were saying before. The physical world is here. The digital world coexists at the same time in the same place, whether we want to use it or not. We can choose it or not right. choose it. If we're outdoors, it's there. If we're indoors, it's there. If we're asleep, if we're awake. If we're here, if we're not here, it's there because we've constructed this data sphere as humans. And you can tap into it or not. So it's kind of a non-judgmental vision of what this is. You can open up a portal here or not. I mean, kind of do cool. whatever you want to. And I somehow that's a relief. It feels like a relief to my nervous system that uh, it's just simply there, and you just tap into it. It's like the Force. <laughs> I'll give you for you know for your Matrix. I'll give you Star Wars. Um, but just this idea that there's this there's this other thing out there somehow. Right. And uh, yeah, maybe I'm being, we're being entirely too cinematic here, but um, I think it's an interesting way of looking at it. Anyway, number number six, uh, on our list of eight things we're getting there is reduce glowing rectangles. I have, a, I have a sense that that kind of goes with this idea of blurring the interface, but uh, are you, are you on a uh, personal mission to reduce glowing rectangles?
1: Well I just I just believe that usually when people use screens, It's usually an afterthought that is just an applied screen on something, Uh, and not only that, but as we know, screens are like this today. What will they be tomorrow? Right? Um, How can we, in a digital reality, have uh, fewer borders and and finite forms? And um, how can we make the screen disappear? So, so obviously there are there. are simple ways, right? Uh, Changing the shape of the rectangle. It can be, especially today, you know, you can have circular LED screens. You can have whatever shape you want. You can create a mosaic of screens, right? A shape that we're not accustomed to. But the point being, it's not to create just another screen. It is now to look at that screen as part of the built environment it becomes it becomes a sculpture right it's it it either becomes a sculpture it becomes part of the partitions it's um etc etc so that's that's one way of doing it right um but definitely um beyond the shape factor what i would say is also let's make the border of the screen disappear right what if if we don't emphasize the border, it will look like the content could actually extend throughout the space. And I think we have, Jonathan, you and I have have worked on a recent project where we've done, the, uh, we worked on the Memorial Sloan Catering Health Center in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, that where there's that giant LED screen placed behind a fiber optic wooden wall, right? And we were displaying, we are displaying animated artworks on that wall. So it goes back to uh, that magical feeling because you never see the screen. The image goes through, like by magic, through the fiber optic. And what the visitors see is the image that is displayed now on the wall, appearing from nowhere, because there's no projector to be seen. There's, There's nothing. And what we were really careful about, right, was to make sure that actually the content never is never cropped by the border of the screen. Right. So suddenly... Bo- borderless. It's borderless. And we're, we're displaying, you know, um, bonsai tree changing through the seasons, koi fishes swimming in in a pond. And how the visitor perceive it is like, well, at any point, they can escape and take over the whole space. So I think it it is about... This idea of not recognizing the borders and, and embracing um, the whole physicality of the space that is surrounding us.
0: I haven't thought about it that way either. In other words, to take, even though we worked on that project together, the philosophy behind it, I didn't think about it that way. That when you, when you take steps to remove what appears to be the border of an experience, the, uh, the viewer seeing no border can be free to imagine that there's no border at all. And that the experience, if it wished, could take over the whole world, because there's there's no boundary, so they forget thinking about a boundary. And I think this this definitely goes with the idea of magic and everything. But let me let me ask you the uh, question the other way around, because it sounds like you're you're advocating for a way of doing this. But I just want to find out why. Um, I think I know why, or I, I know why I would how I would answer that. But. Uh, Listeners who are going to listen to this uh, show will be using their mobile phone or a laptop in order to. It's uh, this is digital. It's a podcast, so it's it's uh, it's in the digital environment that you were talking about, and they're going to need to use an interface to interface with it, and that interface uh, is going to be an everyday interface, the one that you were just describing that people have in their classroom or, you know, in their in their wallet or uh, wherever, and it's going to be a rectangle. Right. So listeners to this show are using a rectangle, a glowing rectangle that you would like to reduce. And that's inevitable, right? Those, the billions of smartphones with rectangular screens are not going away anytime soon. But you're advocating for exhibitions and experiences to not have those rectangles. Are you suggesting that so that they take the advantage of, because they can be different, that they should be different to make them more memorable and to trigger awe? Or are you saying, we just need fewer rectangles in our lives, and this is a good place to do it. Like, why? Why are you on a mission to reduce glowing rectangles? What's the goal?
1: Yeah, I, I believe that my mission is not to change the shape of the screen or reduce rectangles in the world and make them, uh, you know, uh, disappearing species. But it's it's really more about. Um, I I believe a, a rectangle. The rectangles that we're using are used in a functional way. And what I'm advocating is to create an emotional experience. An emotional experience is something that you you experience intuitively and seamlessly um, and magically. And it's it's basically transcending what our everyday world is. And I think we have the power to do that when we're creating an experience-slash-exhibit environment.
0: So in other words, you're kind of saying that the association with glowing rectangles is is functional. What's my bank balance? Who's calling me on the phone? Uh, I have to check my email. Uh, and if you don't use rectangles, it opens up the possibility that association falls away. And so it's easier to do something emotional because it's just not that thing that you associate with your shopping list or whatever.
1: I, I, probably, I probably say to my message is Let's think beyond the rectangle because I'm not saying that a screen cannot be digital. Actually, it can. If it's if it's purposefully integrated into the architecture, if it is part of the initial building blocks, very literally, right, and not an afterthought applied on top of, of the space we're creating, it can create a digital space.
0: So maybe we should change uh, number six: reduce glowing rectangles to think beyond the rectangle, or right. something like that. Yes. You're not you're not you're not on a mission to crush glowing rectangles everywhere you find them. Uh, you just are saying let's. There are other uh, there are other possibilities.
1: You'll not see me demonstrating with a
0: yeah. You're not going to go marching <laughs> down with rectangles. Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a uh, a show on Sesame Street. Down with rectangles. Okay, number seven out of our list of eight is embedded into the architecture. Uh and by what do you mean by embed it? Literally embed it?
1: Literally embedded, embedded into the point that actually um the technology shouldn't be applied to the architecture, but it should be the architecture. It should become part of the actual architecture. Um, because when it's really integrated into what we're creating, the physical, the physical space, uh, by extension it is associated with the and that's my own theory so it has to be i'm sure we 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 have to discuss more about it but um becoming part of the physical space by extension it is associated with the physical characteristics of that space so a space can be touched smelled um something that can be experienced with all the senses so that physicality, that digital element to be integrated into that physicality, suddenly, I believe, is giving more credibility to that digital component, therefore more impactful, therefore more memorable, et cetera, et cetera, right? What we're saying before. it's all all the all the notions that we mentioned before.
0: so when you say embedded into the architecture, do, do you mean, Or make it part, your first uh, thought there was the technology shouldn't be applied to the architecture. It should be the architecture. When you say embed, do you mean like build it in so it's hard to rip it back out again and hard to maintain? Or are you kind of saying replace architecture with technology? You mentioned before the idea of like a big LED wall or something, that that could be your, in your words, the building block of architecture. And, And I'm kind of imagining you're thinking of that as well, let's use LED tiles instead of porcelain tiles. And therefore we can create using this building block, which is a digital building block, we can open a portal into this digital realm and that's how we embed it into the architecture. But the question I'm trying to ask is, are you advocating, when you say embedded into architecture, it sounds like you're advocating that it's hard to get back out again to replace or something like that. But I don't think that's what you're getting at. I think you're trying to say, just what you said like it shouldn't be applied to the architecture it should, it should be the architecture right it should
1: and and uh it should it should really work with the um the physical environment that is created and uh we mentioned that before I I'm not my dream is not to leave inside uh, a TV box right <laughs> uh, uh created, simulated type of reality is actually the opposite, is to create a reality that acknowledges the fact that both exist and um, merge them together, right? And I think we mentioned before the, the, uh, the, the topic of choice. I think turning that layer, that digital layer on and off, a physical experience, a, sorry, a physical space can be can it be experienced without a digital yes can the digital be experienced by itself yes but when you put them together actually it's not adding one plus one equals two what I'm advocating is by doing that uh, one plus one becomes 10 or three
0: <laughs> I think it I think it's more like 10 that's another t-shirt right there designing digitally means you can turn one plus one into 10. Right. The way that you've described it, uh, just the idea that there's there's a f- finite, I guess you could ar- argue with atomic physics or quantum physics, that even the physical environment is not finite, it's sort of infinite, depending on how you look at it. But for our own human senses, it's, it's finite in a certain way, and there's this other realm, and that other realm is infinite. Uh, that coffee cup on my desk can have an infinite amount of information associated with it, could go on and on about every aspect of that coffee cup. Um, and so that, that idea of the one plus one, when you open that portal, you get a, another dimension that's just huge. So that one plus one equals 10 seems more convincing to me. You you just said your dream, I want to I wanna put you on the spot here for just a minute. You said that your dream is not to live inside a TV box or a simulated reality, but we learned earlier in this show that The Matrix is your favorite movie. And by the way, you described it, it sounds like it's your favorite movie by far. Would you take the red pill or would you take the blue pill? If we're in the matrix know. right now, would you wanna stay in the matrix or would you take the pill and pop out of the matrix and do all the stuff that comes with that? Which which uh, pill Which so pill we, is for you?
1: All right, if we continue the analogy of the matrix and the discussion about the matrix. Getting philosophical. The guy takes the, guy takes the red pill, I presume, right? But at the end of the day, he finds what? The truth. Is it the red pill or the blue pill he takes? No, I
0: I don't remember what is red pilling.
1: But whatever, Um, the point. The point being again is there's um, a pill that
0: you can take to leave the artificial reality, to leave the simulated reality, exactly, and go into the real reality, which in the case of that movie is is not a very pleasant reality. The simulated reality is much more pleasant.
1: Right. Uh, The non-simulated one
0: is kind of terrifying. But the brave souls. So that's my question for you. In do you would if if there were a simulated reality your favorite movie the matrix I love the discussion and That's you cool. could you could take the pill and go with all and all your friends were were there too everyone you didn't lose anything and you could go into a simulated reality would you do it would you uh, live in a simulated reality that has not. nothing to do with the topic of definitely, our
1: podcast definitely definitely <laughs> no. not and i think this is this is linking to that because the goal is actually to rebalance what we started discussing about you know uh the original impulse for this is to rebalance our physical body and mind right or our to rebalance our physical reality with the digital reality or digital simulation so it's definitely not to live in a in a world of uh, simulation because that's exactly not the point but to use, both tools of the physical and the digital into a digital experience to give more tools to the to whoever experiences it to actually um create you know a thoughtful dialogue about um, where are we at what is this about it is it is just putting more tools on the table
0: I think there's there's more questions I could ask you about this matrix thing, but I'm not going to keep you on the spot. Number eight <laughs> is the last one. Make it site specific. Make it site specific. And uh, how how so? What does site specific mean for one thing for our listeners?
1: So site specific. We started with question number seven. One was a, a ba- embedded into the architecture, mm-hmm. and I think this is a continuation of that of that thought. Um, if we make an experience, any experience, especially a digital experience, right, um, to be so custom that it only fits a specific space, a specific site, by by doing this, you will not be able to. Uh, it becomes unique. Um, you will not be able to try to experience it anywhere else. You don't. You can't experience it on YouTube on your iPhone. It becomes. We, we are creating a digital. Experience slash space, um, where the visitor will come purposefully to that space to experience that unique creation. Um, so the first the first goal by making site specific is really to create something unique, um, but it also has um, something that is dependent of the physical container. Um, the basically The quality of the the space that we're creating, the quality um, depends of the content that will be shown, the storyline that will be shown through the digital elements, of course. But I'm advocating, and I think we all know that, the quality of the physical space is as important as that content and that digital aspect. And I mean, the, the simple example is imagine that we're using the turbine hall at the tate modern or the guggenheims rotunda you know to create our fidget experience instead of a generic black
0: box right yeah and uh this is our last point so we don't have to go too long on this but what are some ways that you can make something site-specific uh, i think you're talking about the fact that it's in a physical space and so therefore uh we use the example of uh, smartphones many times in this conversation so smartphone has to be one form that works in every situation you're advocating or bringing up the example of the opposite, a a one-off form that only exists in one place. So I guess one way to do that is to make the form unique. You talk about mosaics of displays, edgeless displays, embedding it into architecture. And if, I don't know, your entire space is shaped like a rugby ball made out of LED, that's probably the only one in the world that's like that. So that's site-specific. Can you also be site-specific in terms of content? I guess you could, like my coffee cup, again, if there was a digital display related to it uh, and, and it, the digital display was referring to the coffee cup, it wouldn't, that digital content wouldn't make any sense if it were disassociated from the coffee cup. You just use the right. example of YouTube. And I, I've written about that before. I like to say, uh, for good exhibition media, make sure your media will not work on YouTube. In other words, it's it's the wrong format or the subject matter makes no sense because the thing it refers to isn't physically there. Or is that what you, is that kind of what you're getting totally. at about site specificity? It can either be the form or the content you have- or both or where it's located or all of those things.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you're bringing that clarity to to this. Uh, totally 100%, 200%. If, uh, um, if the content that is shown can only be displayed in that physical space but if in addition it is related to that space so both are actually site specific it would obviously make the experience so much more stronger excellent and and thoughtful
0: well that's that's some that's some good news that our listeners can use that is terrific okay I feel like we've gone through so much stuff in my head is still reeling from one of those points where I feel like I'm now seeing digital things all around me. Um, hopefully hopefully you will
1: see the physical things as well. That's the point.
0: I am. Well, I, I clearly, <laughs> uh, as listeners have noticed, I clearly can see my coffee cup. That, that's for sure. Um, so anyway, we'll do, do, do a little quick recap here. We've been talking uh, uh, with Aline uh, about eight ways to be fidgetal. Number one, define the word. Number two, balance the parts. Number three, blur the interface. Number four, make it magic. Number five, consider it a portal. Number six, reduce glowing rectangles. Number seven, embed it into the architecture. And number eight, make it site-specific. Did I get all of them?
1: You got it all of them. Thank you, Jonathan.
0: Sounds good. All right. So it looks like we covered it. Aline Tokmakov, my partner, it has been great to have you on the show. I feel like I learned a lot about you I didn't know. And you really changed my mind about some things that I totally didn't expect. So uh, I love that. And if uh, our our listeners got half as much out of it as as I did, um, I think it's going to be something that will have been worth listening to. If folks would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Email or LinkedIn or... (laughs) <laughs> you can so my email magic portal what would be the best
1: uh you have my linkedin uh, all my contact details are there you have uh, linkedin is alan, alin a-l-i-n tokmakov t-o-c-m-a-c-o-v um you can also reach me on my email at alin a-l-i-n at cgpartnersllc.com um which is our uh,
0: business email Awesome. I'll put some show notes uh, into uh, the episode as well for people to, who might want to reach out to you. And that's great. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, that is it for this episode. By the way, did you know this podcast has a sister? It's a short daily newsletter every weekday under the same name, all about strategy and planning for museum leaders, exhibition teams, and visitor experience professionals. We've mentioned that uh, a couple of times. It's a one minute read every weekday morning, very quick high value. Learn more and subscribe at makingthemuseum.com. Meanwhile, I'm Jonathan Alger, and I hope you'll join me next time for Making the Museum. Bye for now.